I'll be reading from Luke 7, 11 through 17 in the Common English Bible. And if you care to follow along in the Pew Bibles, it's on 1256. Hear the word of the Lord. A little later, Jesus went to a city called Nain. His disciples and a great crowd traveled with him. As he approached the city gate, a dead man was being carried out. He was his mother's only son, and she was a widow. A large crowd from the city was with her. When he saw her, the Lord had compassion for her and said, don't cry. He stepped forward and touched the stretcher on which the dead man was being carried. Those carrying him stood still. Jesus said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to speak and Jesus gave him to his mother, awestruck. Everyone praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout the Judea and surrounding region. This is the word of the Lord. What a fantastic story for us to consider this morning. The way God can enter life at the most unexpected moment. Before we get into the message, let me just comment um, that this morning again, as is usually our practice, we have communion at the end of our service. And for any visitors, I would just add, um, we invite you to be part of this event. You don't have to be a member of this church or any church to partake of communion here. The only requirement is that you want Jesus to be your Savior and Lord. And you may even be struggling with that, but if this is the moment that you want it to take place, we certainly welcome you to come. Also this morning, at the same time that communion is being served, we will uh, provide the opportunity to be anointed with oil for healing. This uh, ancient Christian practice is described probably best in Jane's letter, the last chapter, where he says, uh, is anybody among you ill, sick? Um, ask the elders of the church to anoint you with oil and pray over you. So during the communion, as you come and take the elements, if you'd like to be prayed for, anointed and prayed for, Pastor Bonnie will be over in that corner there, and I will be over in this corner. Others will move around you, you may want to take the elements first and then come over and be anointed and prayed for and then go back to your seat and take them. Or you may want to bow at the altar rail and take them and then come and be anointed. But we invite you to come if you would like. And this is for any kind of healing. Could be physical healing, of course. God still heals, we believe. It could be for uh, emotional healing some struggle of your life emotionally. Could be for spiritual healing. It, it may be that you're struggling with some truth in terms of releasing it to the Lord and you need a healing in that part of your life or relational. Uh, we just ask you to slip over next to one of us. Uh, we'll probably ask you what it is that you would like prayed for if you don't mention it other words, otherwise, and then we will pray for you. Let's take a moment and pray before we get into this passage of scripture this morning. Lord, thank you so much that we can be here together on this resurrection day. 
The calendar has been, in a way, turned around. We no longer worship on the seventh day of the week. We worship on the first day of the week because this was the day you arose from the dead. So we praise you for this opportunity to be together. And now we ask that you will speak to us. We always and ever are a people that are desperate to hear a word from you. Speak to us, we pray, and grant us that grace that our response will be all together. Yes, Lord, whatever you want. We pray in Christ's strong name. Amen. Most of you have probably noticed that when God comes into our lives, often when he first comes, everything is disrupted. And that's really the story, the really unusual story that we considered together this morning from Luke chapter 7. Christ, of course, at that time, was a traveling rabbi. So he and his disciples would go from town to town, from area to area, and he would teach often on the way, sometimes stopping, but sometimes even while they were moving. That's, that's the way they did uh, external learning back then. He has a large crowd of people with him, as Luke describes, and they're coming to the village or city of Nain and out of this village is coming another large group of people led by a widow who has just lost her son. Probably the worst thing that could have happened to a woman, especially a widow at that time, for he was her retirement, her pension, and her security for life. Jesus comes up to the uh, stretcher here that they're carrying this man on. He touches it and he says to the man, get up. And the amazing thing that happens is he sits up. Now just imagine what it would have been like in that moment. Talk about disruption. That was the best kind of disruption that could take place. But often when God comes into our lives, we don't realize the disruption that we're experiencing is the very best that we could ever know. When I read this story, I can't help but flip back probably about 10 years. Uh, it was while I was serving as director with Free Methodist World Missions, and we were in Vietnam. Um, we were in the highlands, an area where for many years there have been a large number of Christians. And actually, at the time, that's where most of the members of our church were. Uh, we were with uh, traveling in a van, small group of people, and in the van with us was the pastor, our head pastor in that area. And as we drove along, he said, don't worry about that vehicle that's following us. He says, those are the authorities. They're always a bit suspicious when new people come to the area. Uh, we then learned that he's also the head man of that area. So even though they're still watching him carefully, we probably are not going to be directly bothered by this, these folks. Well, we get to a village, a very primitive uh, rural village. As soon as he gets out of the van, a little five-year-old runs up and jumps into his arms. Soon we 
understand that that's one of his grandchildren, one of his granddaughters. As we're there, we pray, we worship, and we have the privilege of meeting a woman who has been brought back from the dead. I mean, some of these Bible stories are more meaningful to you if you've actually, I mean, she acted like just any other person. You would have never known she was dead. It was the very best possible thing we would say that could have happened to her. Often, though, when death comes into our world, disrupts us in exactly the opposite way. Another moment I cannot help but think of when I think of this particular story, um, I think I was wandering around a Marshall store. I'm not sure. Sylvia shops, and I like to be with Sylvia, and so as she was looking, and she likes to take plenty of time to find the right thing. I would buy the wrong thing quickly. That's why I just say, whatever you think works, Sylvia, is the best thing we ought to get. So I'm wandering around, and I get a call on my mobile phone uh, from then Bishop David Roller. And he says, Art, you probably heard what happened to Ron and Tammy Balzer. They had been tragically killed in an auto accident just a few weeks before. He said, we're trying to figure out what to do and wonder if there's a possibility that you might for a year or two be the interim superintendent of the New South Conference. Well, immediately I realized that something, that I was going to be in the middle of something very difficult. You, you need a little bit of the background here. So Ron, probably in his 40s, was the full-time superintendent of a small conference on a part-time salary. And, he, and his wife, uh, Tammy, was very, very much engaged with it. They were headed to Florida, where they had family from Kentucky, where they lived. And they came up on uh, Interstate 75 that runs from Atlanta down, uh, down to uh, uh, Tampa, that kind of area. They were on Interstate 75 just before they got into Florida. There was a huge traffic backup. Maybe someone had had an accident or something like that. And so like everybody else, they slowed down, came to a stop, but tragically, a huge semi that was immediately behind them did not. And so Ron and Tammy and their only grandchild lost their life at that time. Um, you know, often when death comes into our world, it's under the most tragic kind of circumstances. So that's one of the other times I just can't help but flip back to when I read this story. Jesus actually bringing somebody back from the dead. Why doesn't he do it all the time? Or why is it that he couldn't protect the Balzers under those circumstances? Well, some of you also have this kind of memory. Um, of course, I've shared with you some of all my parents were really great people of faith. Both of them lived into their 90s. They actually probably lived longer than their bodies could handle. And so at the end, uh, neither of them were totally in, in uh, touch with what was going on in their life. Mom died on Easter one year. My dad died in August soon thereafter. He was very sharp, or at least relatively sharp, before she died. My sister, one of my sisters, Sharon, her husband, 
had them in their home right up to the end. It was really a very beautiful thing. Sharon talks about the time that my mom, just out of nowhere, says, Sharon, it's just beautiful. And she has this far away look in her eye. And Sharon says, what's beautiful, Mom? Do you see angels? Oh, she says, I see angels too. And then it was passed. Or soon before my dad died, which was just a few months later, uh, he was in hospice and had to be taken into the hospital just at the end for a very few days. And one day he was there in the hospital and uh, he burst out and said, uh, looking up at the ceiling, incidentally, he had tried to talk my brother-in-law, Don, into removing some of the tiles from the ceiling because he wanted to see up through the roof better. So out of the blue, with this huge look in his eyes, he cried out, Mary, that's my mom's name, Mary, Ethelon, Laura, Van Tassel, Brown, you stay just where you are. I'm on my way. And a few days later, he was gone. Death comes into our world. Often, like with my parents, it may be a time where, I mean, it was a release for both of them. Periodically, with huge trauma and horror, as happened to Ron and Tammy Balzer, sometimes just kind of in the, in the middle where he, God just decides in a few cases to bring somebody back from the dead. How do we make any sense of this? And I think that's where this account that Luke gives us really helps us kind of come in touch with this. We know death is one of the really difficult subjects for we as human beings to talk about. And that's one of the wonderful things about talking about it against the backdrop of the power of Jesus Christ, the power over death. Um, when I began to work on this passage, one of the things that struck me so much was the fact that the scriptures, they develop a really wonderful, sometimes not wonderful view of death. They talk specifically and directly about it. For example, there are some, we might call them cosmic truths, biblical truths about death. For example, one of them is that primarily death is not a physical issue, it's a spiritual issue. Um, Jesus, on one occasion, he was ready to send out his disciples to do their preaching and teaching, and he was warning them that uh, they, might, uh, uh, they might have some problems on the way. In the middle of that teaching, he says, you don't need to be afraid. In fact, he says, and this is Matthew chapter 10, he said, don't be afraid of the people that might even kill the body. Don't be afraid. Be afraid of those who can kill body and soul in hell. He was trying to make this emphasis that really the issue of death is primarily a spiritual one. I mean, death came into the world because of a sin in the garden and then the, you know, sin of many people over many years. Death was not part of Christ's original plan. It's basically, though, a spiritual issue. 
when we are dead to Christ, we have no hope for the future. If we find life in him, we have full hope for the future, even though for most of us, we will someday experience a physical death. So it's not primarily physical, it's at its very heart, it's spiritual, or another sort of cosmic truth that the scriptures emphasize is that death is not primarily an end, death is primarily a beginning. Um, maybe you remember, toward the end of Christ's life, he had a very special teaching time. It's recorded for us in the latter parts of John's Gospel. And it's in the 14th chapter where Jesus said, don't be afraid, don't, don't be troubled. In my Father's house are many rooms. Many, the old translation was, in my Father's house are many mansions. He says, in my Father's house are many rooms. I go to prepare a place for you that where you are, I can, you can also be. Um, Christ, of course, was talking about the fact that he soon would leave this world. And he wanted the disciples to know that life with him, the life that we experience with Jesus, never truly ends. Death is not the end of this life. In fact, there is a sense in which it is the beginning of life as it was meant to be. That's part of the significance, and we talk some about Christ's appearance to the disciples on the evening of Easter, talked some about that last week, was to give us just a little glimpse into what life that never ends after physically we're no longer alive, what that is going to include. So another cosmic truth. It is primarily not an end, but a beginning. Or it's primarily not a friend, but an enemy. Now, I think sometimes with people like my parents, death is in fact a friend because their quality of life here on earth really had disappeared almost totally. They were far better off in those last few months than many, many people are, but they were ready to say goodbye to this life. It's not unusual for me when I sit down with an elderly person whose body is not what it used to be, for them to say, I'm, I'm ready for Jesus to come back again or for some other way for him to take me. Uh, so there are, there are situations. I mean, who would want to live in a world where our bodies just would totally disintegrate, but there would be no end to that? I mean, that's horrible. So in that sense, yes, it is a friend, but primarily it was sent as an enemy into the world, as something to limit us, as something to hurt us. It was a result and continues to be the result of accumulated sin within our world. Um, and a fourth sort of cosmic truth in terms of God's view of death is that ultimately, now not primarily, but ultimately, death is not the victor, but is a defeated foe. In his first letter to the church at Corinth, Paul has an absolutely powerful chapter 
the 15th chapter, where he talks about um, how important the bodily resurrection is for us and the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. And one of his statements, uh, this is in the 26th verse, he said, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Then later in that chapter, he almost in a song says, where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? So the, the reality is that in the end, death is also going to be eliminated. So we have these really important, rather cosmic biblical truths about death. But the reality also is knowing those with our heads is inadequate for us to in any way deal with a fallen world. And that's the reason why Luke, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, chose to include this story of Jesus coming up on this woman who's in a funeral procession. I have to smile when I think about this story, tell you the truth, because you have got these two huge crowds of people around, and you have a person who was dead. This is like somebody sitting up in the casket, sitting up and beginning to talk to those who are around, obviously alive. It's just such a marvelous, wonderful story. But it's wonderful not just because this man came back from the dead and, and his mother had security uh, for the rest of her life through him. That's not the only reason it's wonderful. It's wonderful because of the, the glimpse it gets, gives us into the way God looks at death. So head knowledge is always important for us. But also, if we are going to deal with a world where there is so much pain and hurt and disappointment and death, we need to know how does God react when he sees the horrible pain of our lives and where he sees death. And here it's just, it's just wonderful because first we see the hopelessness of a situation without Jesus. A woman who had no reason really to look forward to life in any way because she, know, she not only didn't have her son and didn't have her husband, she had no one else to care for her as far as we know. So here's this picture of the hopelessness of life. And the Bible is so realistic about such things. But then along with it, we see almost immediately the reaction of God. We see the compassion of Jesus for this woman. Um, actually, one of the interesting things about this story is that Nain was very close to where the Shumanite woman in, woman in the Old Testament, another widow who had lost her child, found her child brought back from the dead through Elisha. Very close there. So here we see Jesus overcome with compassion. We talked about the word that's translated compassion here a few weeks ago. This is this really powerful word that describes 
when one human being so completely identifies with the need of another human being that not only do they feel sorry for them, but they actually have this physical reaction, almost like a tremor in the very middle of who, of who they are physically as a person. So we see the hopelessness of the human situation. And then we see the powerful compassion of Jesus Christ. So how does God react when our world falls apart? Perhaps it is the death, the untimely death of someone we love very much. Or perhaps it's some other occasion of life where we realize that we are inadequate to face what's going on. We have almost no hope. We have no, no resources, we believe, to face what's in front of us. In that situation, in that situation, how does God react? He reacts with, with something divine that can only be described by this word compassion for this powerful physical, emotional identification we have with another person. And then right along with it, we see, we see illustrated the power of God. Why did he bring this man back from the dead? Well, in this case, it was the best thing for him and his mother and the people around them that needed to believe in Jesus. Why did he bring back from the dead that woman I met in the highlands of Vietnam? I don't know fully the reason, but I think it had something to do with that security car that was following us all around when we were visiting that part of the country. And a government that was so afraid of anything like the faith that would cause a person to put God first in their life. It had something to do with that. So God knows what's the very best for every one of us. This morning, again, we're going to open ourselves anew to the grace of Jesus through partaking of the elements of Holy Communion. And as I've said before, if you're visiting with us, uh, we invite you to be part of this as long as your desire is for Jesus to be your Savior and the Lord of your life. Um, it's not what you'd say a free Methodist table. This is the table of our Lord Jesus Christ. And as I mentioned earlier, if there is some need in your life physically or emotionally or spiritually that you would like to be anointed with oil for healing, as others come receiving the elements either here in the middle or at the edges, as others come and return to their seats, we invite you to, to meet with either Pastor Bonnie over on that side or with me over here, and uh, it'll be our privilege to anoint you with oil and to pray a prayer that you might know the healing touch of Jesus in your life. Would you pray with me? Lord, how we thank you this morning for the healing power of Jesus. We recognize we do live in a fallen world, 
Death is not part of your first plan, but it is something that you have chosen to embrace as the best short term. And you have a moment when you will destroy even death itself. You look forward to that moment, Jesus, with your coming back again. In the meantime, we remember as you instructed us to do this act of Holy Communion, whereby we recognize it's your death and resurrection that gives us hope of eternal life. And it is in relationship to you, in saving relationship to you, that we know the grace we need to live every day and to live forever with you. We praise you. Take these simple elements and make them for us, your body and blood, we pray. Amen.